The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. Today, I'd like to lead us through just a short meditation on the psalm for this Sunday. This psalm caught my eye as I was looking ahead at the lectionary readings for this Sunday because of the year we've had. You know, this is the last Sunday in 2020. And as we look back on this year, it's pretty clear that it's been unlike most in our recent history. It's been a difficult year, to say the least. For many of us, it's been a roller coaster of emotions and experiences. You know, many of us have experienced grief and loss, challenge and loneliness, fear and sickness, joy and sorrow. Some of us have experienced it more than others, of course. And as we look to the psalm for this Sunday, it it hits us in a strange way because it's all about praise. It's all about praise. And some of us may not feel like we're in a place to be all about praise at the moment. So what do we make of a psalm like this at a time like this? You know, I'm constantly reminded of words that Pastor Ken reminds us. He says when we submit ourselves to the lectionary that it's the text that finds us. If this text has found us, what does that mean for us? You see, praise in the biblical language means verbally acknowledging God's worth in our lives, giving him glory and honor for who he is. And let's be honest, we struggle to get praise here and now, don't we? But what this psalm is telling us is that it is possible. And more than possible, it's possible for, change to, or to, for praise to actually change us and to move us closer towards God. So how can we get to a place of praise that's unshakable? How can we do exactly what this psalm is saying and praise God? First, I think we have to see the story of this psalm. You see, the book of Psalms is intentionally crafted. Each one of the 150 psalms has been put together into one coherent storyline. You know, just as someone purposefully takes yarn and knits it together into a sweater or a pair of socks. The biblical authors have knit the book of Psalms together into a prayer book. A prayer book for Christians. A prayer book for the nation of Israel when they were seeking God. And the last five book, uh, Psalms in the book of Psalms is like the finale the encore song that the band plays or the the last few minutes of the fireworks show. It's the end of the show. And it tells us what it's all about. It tells us where the direction of the book was headed. And what Psalm 148, which is a part of the last five Psalms, tells us is that it all ends in praise. But you see, we can't sidestep the process If we isolate Psalm 148 and try to get ourselves to praise without seeing and praying the rest of the book, we miss the point. 
You see, the Psalms is chock full of many different types of prayers. Psalms of confession. There are Psalms that are filled with grief. There are Psalms that are expressing doubt and frustration or pleas to God. And, you know, at least one-third of the Psalms are what Bible people call psalms of lament, psalms that are, are heavy with sorrow and grief. Some of them don't even end with, with a, an ounce of hope. We have to remember that these psalms are a part of the book. They're an important place. They play an important role in getting us to praise. What the psalms say to us is that to really praise God, we need to pay attention and to pray our emotions, all of them. We need to pray our experiences. We need to pray how we are feeling. We need to direct it all towards God. This can be a very long process. It can be a while before we get to Psalm 148, before we get to praise. We have to remember the story of the Psalms when we look at getting to praise and within the last five praise psalms, though, 148 gives us a unique flavor. Each of them brings out something unique about God's character that's worthy of praise. And what's interesting about this psalm is that there's two parts to it. A part that calls for praise from the heavens and a part that calls for praise from the earth. And what's so interesting about each of the Things that are named, right? There's many things that are named in this psalm as to praise God. There's people, there's beings, there's places. And whether it's angels, the sun, the moon, the stars, the great sea creatures, or the ocean depths, the psalmist is putting all of these things in this psalm intentionally to name and to call out places of rival praise. He is attaching other cultural ideas to a sense of praising God. What do I mean by this? Well, one example, if we look at verse 3 where it says, Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, you shining stars. What the author of the psalm is intentionally doing is he, he's embedding deities gods of the ancient Near East culture, objects of worship into this psalm. See, cultures surrounding Israel worshipped and praised the sun and the moon and the stars as gods. And by placing the rival gods in this psalm, the author is showing that they too fall under the authority of God. They also need to praise him. God is the God of the gods. These rival gods, the sun, the moon, the stars, or whatever it is, are things that the Israelites were actually tempted to buy into. Especially for exiled people, when they were, you know, carried out away into um, these uh, rival nations, the gods that these nations worshipped began to seep into Israelite culture too. They were soaked in these cultures that worshipped the sun, the moon, and the stars, and they easily thought, well, look at, look at these nations. Look at how successful they are. Look at how powerful they are. What if there's some truth to their worship? What the psalmist is reminding 
the Israelites is that everything, everything is created by God and should praise him. For us, we aren't tempted to praise the sun, the moon, and the stars. We've moved past things like that and replaced them with others. You know, we tend to praise or elevate our own identities, our own sense of identity, who we are, or our own individual freedom, or our financial independence and self-sufficiency. These are rival gods that we are tempted to put, uh, tempted to praise. See, we all find ourselves replacing praising God with praising other things. Our hearts do this all the time. Our hearts are idol factories. And so, while these things may provide us promise, safety, security, independence, power, as we've experienced this year, you know, financial independence or our own happiness are actually extremely fragile and are subject to forces that are outside of our ability to control. What I think this psalm is saying is that the more real God is to us and how powerful he is over all things, the more frequently we'll get to praising him. 1 John 3, 1 reminds us that when we see God, when we experience God, when we experience his love for us and his power, we become more like him. And I think this is the power of Psalm 148. It is a psalm that travels from very broad to very specific, from invisible to visible, right? It starts in the heavens, it makes its way down to earth, and eventually into individuals. And what begins by talking about the heavens ends by talking about the Savior, See, how could the Israelites get to praise when this psalm was written, when they were in exile, when they were praying this psalm? Well, they looked to the promise. You see that at the end in verse 14, when it talks about the horn that God will raise up. They looked to that promise, the hope of the Messiah, the horn of salvation, the one who would deliver them. How do we get to praise? How do we get to praise more often? We look to the fulfilled promise. We look to the one who was born as the horn of our salvation, Jesus Christ. You see, after John the Baptist was born and Zachariah's tongue functioned properly again, he prophesied that God had raised up a horn of salvation for his people. And that person is Jesus in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he shows us, ultimately, that this psalm is right. Because of what Christ did for us when he was born as a baby and eventually when he went to the cross to take on the sin and the brokenness of this world, to die and then be raised to life again. He shows us that it all will end in praise. He has defeated death. The victory has been won. Everything else 
that we look to, that we praise, will eventually let us down and empty us. But if we look to Jesus, if we trust him with our lives, we can see that in his life, death and resurrection, it's finished. The rescue mission has been complete and it ends in praise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, this psalm, the book of Psalms, that provides us language to process our emotions, to process our experiences, and then redirect them towards you. And Father, help us to see that uh, everything in this world, no matter what we experience on a day-to-day -day basis, will end in praise because you have come and you have saved us. Father, may this sink uh, deep into our hearts as we've experienced a year unlike many other years, that everything will end in praise. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.